Thank you, worship team. I bless y'all. Thank you, uh, media team. It's wonderful. You know, the Bible says to rejoice always, but how good is it to rejoice together? <laughs> I'll continue to rejoice myself, and like I told someone recently, when I rejoice by myself, I tend to reach for notes I shouldn't in public, and uh, I don't always sound uh, what would be pleasing to the ear, but make a joyful noise. Amen. Yeah, when I uh, when I sing in private, I'm. It's amazing to me, but I'm not going to record it and tell you what it sounds like. Anyway, good morning. This is uh, normally our Generation Sunday, and it still is. We're still going to honor the children today, even though they're not with us. But for good reason, they are practicing for their. Christmas play that will be in two weeks, so don't miss it. Invite the grandparents or the family, because, you know, everybody wants to watch the kids do the play, because it's the most adorable thing in the world. Am I right? And uh, we, who know, the Lord's probably going to move through them as well, because out of the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise to silence the enemy. Sometimes my kids... The things that they'll say, it's just like, wow, that was very profound. You know? Like the baptism this morning. That hit me, man. <laughs> Ooh, that's all the sermon I needed. Jesus is the Lord. And I want to follow in his footsteps. Amen. Thank you. The title of this morning's sermon is called Legacy. Living with the generations in mind. You don't have to do this. I mainly did this because uh, uh, when I was first preparing, I thought the kids were going to be with us. Um, I'd forgotten about their play practice. But you're welcome to do it as well. But my idea was I even had some coloring sheets. Um, if you would like a coloring sheet, um, just ask one of the ushers. Raise your hand. They're in the office. They'll get you one. Um, you will not be judged. Otherwise, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner. It actually tells us what the thoughts and the intents of our heart are. So I pray that your word would guide us and teach us. And I pray that uh, based on anything that's said today, Jesus would be glorified. Amen. Um, I'd like to start this sermon uh, just with an acknowledgement of the bad news for you fellow Vol fans. Um, the season is over. You can mourn it now. Um, so now we can just root for the against the teams that we don't like. Um, and... Hope for the future. Actually, I was thinking about it yesterday. Being a Vols fan is kind of like being a Christian. You get beat down, and you get beat down, but you keep getting back up. You keep believing that one day, one day, we will again be victorious. Amen? Ball for life. Oh, got that off my chest. Okay, let's move on. Um, I also want to greet those watching online. I know some of you are sick, and I just want you to know we're praying for you. We're believing with you, and we are one body. When, you're, when you suffer, we all suffer. And uh, I, just, I just wanted you to know that. I've been thinking about you. I know many have. Uh, and uh, get better in Jesus' name. We love you, and we need you. Well, today, I know this is you know, Christmas, and traditionally we talk about Jesus, and we'll get there. But um, we're going to talk about Abraham today, or Abram turned Abraham, formerly known as Abram. And uh, we're going to read his story. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11 toward the end. 
just for a little bit of background, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. This is Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years. That's an old man. And Terah died in Haran. So for starters, I wanted to point you to, you may have gotten one of these if you didn't. Uh, I think they might have one on the board up there at some point. Um, just a little map that outlines the journey of Abraham. Because I don't know about you, but when I read names that I'm not familiar with, it's like, what? You know, I just kind of gloss over and I lose track. So these things are helpful to me. Just, I'm a visual learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. I like to touch it. I like to see it. And then when I hear it, it starts to make sense. Otherwise, I'll be reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and be like, <whistles> anyone ever done that for like chapters at a time? You know what I'm talking about? So we're, I'm, put your, put your uh, thinking cap on. You're going to go to school this morning with me. We're going to be in school together. So, uh, you know, throw a spitball at your neighbor. I'm kidding. Kidding. You shouldn't do that. But that would make it more like school. Because I know we used to do things like that and uh, occasionally got in trouble for it. But anyway, we're in Genesis 11. And if you look at your little map here that some of you may have, Abram's journey started in the land of Ur. Now, I'm glad I'm not from the land of Ur, because it would be really annoying telling people where I'm from. You know, they're like, hey, where are you from? Ur. And like, uh, no, no, where, where are you from? Ur. And do you have a stutter? Like, are, are you okay? You need some water? I'm from Ur. Ur. The city of Ur. Ur. Kind of sounds like, uh. Anyway, I just, that went through my mind as I was studying. Keep that for your corny joke collection to tell your grandchildren. So right now we're in Haran. We started in Ur, which if you look on your map, I put a little modern day map on there, um, is in Iraq, okay? Right on the river. Now this was interesting to me because Abram's life at least according to the Genesis account, started smack dab in the middle of where life began for humanity, right? We read about the rivers and how the garden was between, you know, uh, the rivers, and that would be somewhere in the land of Iraq, which is where the Genesis account of creation teaches us that the Garden of Eden was. And I found that interesting, and we'll talk about that a little later. And then he travels to Haran, which was the name of his brother that had passed. Because um, there were um, three brothers. Um, Terah had three sons. And one of them was Haran, and, and they traveled to Haran. And then Terah died in Haran. And as we're about to read in Genesis 12... God called Abram from the land of Haran. 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Kind of reminds me of the song we just ended with. The Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. May his countenance shine on you. May he be gracious. May he prosper you and give you peace. In Hebrew, they call that the Shema. Everyone say Shema. It's like Shema, but not quite a full E. It's Shema. So now you learned a little Hebrew this morning. We got that out of the way. 
It says, I will bless you, verse 3, who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a pretty big promise. And Abram's job was just to leave. Just go. Get your stuff. Pack it. Where are we going, Lord? I'm going to show you. I happen to think that if God had told him ahead of time where he's going to take him, he probably wouldn't have gone. Because <laughs> at this point, the land of Canaan was considered a cursed land. Why? We'll get into that as well as, as we move on. But it wasn't, it wasn't like it was going to be better than where he was. Okay? He had a pretty good setup in Haran. He was doing well. He was gathering wealth, animals, servants. I mean, this is not a bad gig. But still, God calls him away from where he's doing well, out of his comfort zone, because God can see the end from the beginning. And I have a feeling that many of us at different times in our life have been moved and shifted. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe a family member died. Something happened that caused discomfort, and it caused your path to shift. And you may not understand why. And that's okay. Abraham didn't, or Abram at this point, didn't know why either. He just knew that his obedience was tied to the future. And that God, through him, somehow, he didn't have clarity how, but somehow, all the nations were going to be blessed because of his obedience. So he gathered up his stuff and he left. Verse 5, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the, land, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. So if you want to on your little map, I know it's a little small, but you can find some of those cities there. You can see Bethel, you can see Shechem, you can see Moriah, all kind of where modern day Israel is. Um, this is where Abram had traveled, kind of all within that square. Does everyone see that? All right. Because one of the things I was hoping to do as we go through these cities, I want you to picture what's happening. Okay? Abram travels on with his family up to Haran. And then God calls him, kind of almost in a triangle shape, down into the region of the Canaanites, into Canaan. And Canaan is important. Um, and we'll see why in a moment. But here he's now in the land of Canaan. He has... He has this experience with the Lord, and the Lord says, one day I'm going to give your offspring, your descendants, this land. Verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east, on the west, and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Okay. So Abram has made his first really movement of obedience to the Lord. He's left his hometown. He's now in a stranger's. He's a foreigner now where he's living. He, he's not, he, I'm not sure if he's familiar with the language completely. Maybe there's some, you know, traders that speak back and forth. But he's, he's been uprooted, and now he's figuring out why God has him here. He knows that someday God's going to bless his descendants, but he still has to manage his own life, right? He's still got, ki he's still got well, not kids yet, 
but he's still got servants to feed. He's still got animals to feed. He's got a living to make. And so in the midst of just living normal life, God is, is causing Abraham and asking Abraham to look ahead. Look beyond his life and live in such a way that his life will impact future generations. And that's the premise of what I want us to really meditate on this morning. Legacy. Because if you live your life just to bless you, at the end of your life, it's going to be a barren field. And it may take even generations to get that field back healthy. But if you will just take a little bit of extra time and live in such a way as to manage that field, that field, your life, will become a blessing for generations. Did you know it takes one season to just completely wipe out a field to where it's barren? You know, you just suck all the natural resource out you can, and you leave it with nothing. It's barren. But did you know it takes at least 14 and sometimes 20 years to restore that field with very specific and proper care? One season to wreck it. A generation to restore it. And I really see that as a metaphor for our lives. And you may have even seen that in the lives of foolish decisions you've made or family or friends. It's so easy to mess it up. But it really takes work to dig in and day by day make those decisions to be obedient to the Lord and to be faithful and steady. And this is what God saw in Abram and he wanted to bless the world through Abram. But Abram wasn't without mistakes. We're about to read one. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Okay? If this doesn't teach us anything, it should teach us, just don't lie. Tell the truth. Right? If if I was going to do a Bible lesson with the kids, I would say, don't be lying. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Let God take care of the details, but just tell the truth. When you tell the truth, you don't got to look behind your shoulder. What you said is what you said, and that's what it is. When you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about five years later someone coming back and, and tattling on you. When they tattle on you, everyone will say, oh, we already know that. So what? It's under the blood. He already told us. No big deal. But if you don't tell the truth, the past can really bite you. Let's see what happens to Abram when he lies and tells his wife to lie. <laughs> it's almost like a self-fulfilled prophecy here, almost. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, dwelt, he dealt well with Abram, And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So at first, his lie seems to be working great. Except he's lost his wife. I mean, but he's got a bunch of stuff. He's not dead. So he might even be patting himself on the back. Be like, I can get another wife. But man, they kill me, that's it. But listen what happens. The Lord wasn't going to let this stand. He's the God of truth. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay. Let's look at a few parallels very quickly before we move on with the story. There's a famine 
Abram goes down into Egypt, okay, because of the famine. He gets in some trouble. There's plagues in Pharaoh's household. He gets sent out with great wealth through the desert back into the land of Canaanite, or Canaan, rather, which we know as the eventual promised land. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as if God was, in a way, preparing Abram to be a type and shadow for the journey that the people of Israel would live. Right? Did not they, because of a famine, Jacob's household, go down into Egypt, experience blessing in the land of Goshen? After a period of time, it wasn't so great. Then there were plagues. And then they got sent out through the desert back into the land. It's almost as if God was saying, I'm going to take this one man and make him a seed of promise for future generations so that they would know how to follow in the ways of Almighty God. And just as I was studying his life, I just kept thinking, you know, Abram's name means father. And if we take that as an example for ourselves, the father always goes before us. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has prepared in advance good works for us to do that we should walk in them. You know, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's one of the salvation scriptures, right? Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for those good works, which he has prepared in advance. God knew that one day his people would go down into Egypt. Everything wouldn't go well. But he also knew that he was going to bring them out. Just like he brought out, through plagues, mind you, their forefather, their descendant, the one they looked up to, Abram. Amen? Even in Abram's mistake and foolishness, God was working all things for good. He knows the end from the beginning. How much more should we trust him along the way? Amen? You have a plan in your head of how your life is supposed to look. It might be a good plan. Maybe it's not a good plan at all. Maybe you just want to survive and get that social security check and that's it. But God also has a plan. And his plan is not just about you. It's about generations upon generations from now. I don't know how long we're going to be here. I don't. Jesus may tarry. He's tarried a while. And I don't think it's up to him. I think the father's up there going, give me another generation. Jesus is like, we ready? It's getting pretty, pretty rough down there. Father's like, ah, I, want, I want a million more. A million more. Give me a million more. I don't think the father is so much as indecisive as his heart is just so full. He sees all the generations that would be. And he's almost like pressing the delay button just so he can get a few more. You know, he's a father. And he loves his creation. And when he made humans and he put us together in community, he said it was very good. And it still is. This right here is very good. And he wants just, give me another one. Okay. All right, I, I, not just one. I'm going to, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million more, 10 million more. And I don't know if that's true. But biblically speaking, Peter taught us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He desires that all would come to repentance. All. So I know his heart is like, I'm going to give him a few more years to get it. That stubborn one that I've been calling, I'm not going to end it now. I'll give him a few more years. I'm going to send a few more people into their life. 
I'm going to introduce a few more situations that hopefully will turn. When God speaks to us, He doesn't just see us as we are. He sees us as we're meant to be. He sees us not only who we will be become, us personally, but also who our descendants will become. Let me say it this way. The primary purpose of my life may have little to do with me right here and right now. The primary purpose of my life might be a foundation stone for my great-great-grandchildren to walk in that scripture when Jesus said, greater works shall they do because I go to the Father. If I don't do the greater works, I'm going to lay a foundation of faith where in my household, we're not afraid. We walk in love. We forgive one another. We confess our sins one to another. We pray for one another that we might be healed for the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I may not see all that God has for me because what He has for me might be just a seed in the ground of the soil of the earth that one day will burst forth and produce in my descendants a great blessing which you cannot even number. This was the blessing of Abraham. It's not about you, Abraham. You're just going to live in a tent. You're just going to walk around seemingly aimlessly to the eyes of the world. But one day, I'm going to give your descendants this land. Listen. This nation was founded upon godly principles. Schools were first designed to teach children to read the Bible. Most universities were founded because of the Bible, like Harvard and Yale and others. And if I don't live to see the day when my children will live in a Christian nation, like we know it was founded, I will continue to labor. I will continue to speak the truth in love. I will not be afraid to say what I believe. And I'm not going to be a jerk about it. It doesn't count if you're a jerk. That's not persecution. That's called eye for an eye. But if I speak the words of God, and I live kindly, and I suffer for it, then I receive great reward. But I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid of anything. What can man do to me? Jesus said, even if they kill you, they can't touch a hair on your head. Wait a minute, Jesus. I don't think you know how this killing thing works. <laughs> let's, let's rewind a bit, shall we, Jesus? If they kill me, I am dead. <laughs> Are you saying that I'm going to keep my hairstyle? Anyway, I'm just kidding. No, we know what Jesus was saying, right? Because he demonstrated it. They killed him. And in three days, wounds and all, he's like, I'm back. I'm back. You can't keep a good man down. Amen? All right, let's get back to our story. That was all free. Amen. Abram, like we just mentioned, means father in Hebrew. This is very important. Because when our story begins in Haran, Abram is 75 years old. Sarai is 65. And we learned earlier in chapter 11, she's barren. Father. Barren. Are there any seniors in the house who are believing for a blessing? 75, 65, you know, up in the age. It can happen. It's happened before. Elizabeth, remember that? Around the time of Jesus. No takers, no blessings. All right, we'll move on. It probably took a lot of faith, you know, to believe a word that your descendants are going to be like the sands on the seashore. When you look at your life and you're like, My inheritance is probably going to go to my nephew 
or my main servant. But, but God. Everyone say, but God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's go back to Abram's journey. Abram is now back in the land of promise. The Lord has spoken to him multiple times that one day his descendants would live there and it would be theirs. Right now, we just learned he's just parking his tent. And whenever the Lord says to move, he moves. They pull up the poles, they roll up the skins or whatever they were using for the coverings, and they pick the new spot based on where God sends them. Now I find it interesting because of this. In the book of Joshua, which comes after this, quite, quite a, hundreds and hundreds of years after this, um, God speaks to Joshua in kind of his inaugural pump up, Joshua, I'm going to lead you like I led Moses, kind of pep talk he gives him. And he says, wherever the sole of your feet tread, I will give it to you. Very cool. Everywhere Joshua walked, Abram had already walked. Every piece of land they took, Abram had already lived there, or journeyed there, or traded there. Their forefather, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, had already stepped. It's almost as if he, in the spirit, he'd already set in motion what God was planning to do. And all I'm trying to teach us this morning, myself included, is let's begin to live in a way with legacy in mind. That one day, your great-grandchildren might hear a story about you. They might only hear a few. The, The span of your life might be a few snippets of encouragement that get passed down to future generations. I don't know. I mean, that's how it is in the Word, right? Some people lived a life and they get a sentence. <laughs> you know? Like Jabez. Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge the tents of my pegs. And there's Jabez. <laughs> but what if that sentence became a bestseller for future generations and encouraged them to believe for more? It did, right? Prayer of Jabez. It was on the New York Times. Pretty good. Um, we want to learn to live in a way with legacy in mind. Because here's what starts to happen. The things that get you down, they still get you down, but you're not just thinking about yourself and getting like the... When you look through a microscope at your life, your problems look really, really big. True story? But when you take a telescope and you look at the stars, you feel really, really small. Because you're just surrounded by this creation. When we take every little problem and make it all about us, it's really, really big. And it's really, really stressful. But if we look at our life as just a blip in the radar of human history, that God is forming us for a purpose, it still is not fun. But it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Because we know the end of the story. Nobody reads a book and stops reading because there's one page that's a super bummer. Unless it was an accident or you're just not a reader. But if you're a reader, what do you do? You turn the page and you press on because you want to find out what happens next. In your life, when you encounter struggles and difficulties and hardship... When you, like Abram, are named father and have no kids at 75 years old, press on. When God has promised you and your family something, press on. If you don't see it with your eyes, your children might, so press on. And if they don't see it, your grandchildren might see it, so press on. Do not lose heart in the midst of doing good, for one day you will reap. And if you don't, your generations will. Amen? Amen. Don't give up. Don't feel like your life is a waste. I've met people, 
and because of their physical limitations. You know, once you get to, the older you get, it's just, it just happens. I acknowledge I'm not old. I understand that. But some days, I wake up and I'm like, oh, 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 okay, all right, let's just get my pants on. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You feel like your life is less strong, able, and that why are you still here? You know, God's going to give you this glorious body and you're going to, ha, 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 you know, in the streets of heaven. Why here and why now? Because it's not all about you. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And if you don't have earthly grandchildren, great-grandchildren, don't worry about it. Neither did Jesus. He's our example, right? Neither did Paul, but look at their life. They still lived in such a way to bless future generations even when times got tough. Paul's call, his call, like his inaugural send-off through the prophet was, oh, you're going to suffer. That's going to be the mark of your life. Your life is going to be difficult and you're going to suffer. But you're going to do it for Christ. So be encouraged. And when you look at his life, you know, he gives a little list, that's a little snapshot, it's like, yeah, Jesus, he did get the 39 stripes. It's true. I got him five times. Okay? I've been shipwrecked. I've been homeless. I've been naked. I've been hungry. I've been at the threat of disease, threat of wild animals. I mean, he goes on and on and on. And, but yet he says, I consider all those things as rubbish compared to the exceeding glory that is promised for us who believe. I count those things as loss. All those degrees, loss. All that suffering, loss. They do not compare to what God has in store. He didn't say just for, for him. He said for us. What did Paul know? What did Abram know and believe that would encourage us to live with fresh purpose when you can barely move, guess what? You can still pray. And prayers move mountains. When your mind don't work right, you can still say, thank you, Jesus. You can still speak life into the earth. You can still be a blessing. We are here for a reason. And it's not just about us. Amen? If the pilgrims had any idea how hard it was going to be that first season when half of them died, they might not have left. But they endured. And they realized, we want our grandchildren to live in a land where they can freely worship. Thank God for men and women of faith like that in our history. As U.S. Americans who were willing to suffer with generations in mind. And I say all that to say, for the most part, from a global sense, our lives are pretty great. They're pretty great. They're inconvenient sometimes. You know, tragedy does happen here and there. And it's not fun. I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm just trying to reorient the way that you think so that you're not depressed all the time. You're blessed. You're blessed. If you have nothing else, if we're all in a concentration camp right now and we just get an hour and a half to worship and then we go back to work, we're still blessed because of what Jesus did for us. And the more we anchor our faith to not just what's happening in this moment, it is important, but it's not the whole story. The more we anchor our faith to what's coming, to the promises he has for us, for our children, our grandchildren, and those way down the line, Lord willing, should he tarry. The more we're going to live with one of these. Go ahead and practice. Say, I'm blessed. So somebody, your cheesy grin. Cheesy as you can get it.
I'm blessed. Okay. Good job. All right, let's move on. I'm going to try to land this plane. Proverbs 13 and 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I want to give you a few quick points in closing. Abram, I encourage you to read his story, especially after um, just our little time today. Read the story of Abram to Abraham. It's so encouraging, so fascinating, so full of symbols and promises. And um, The book of Hebrews is really talks about Abraham and his life. Uh, it, it alludes to a lot of what God did through him even before the law. But at some point, his name is Abraham, right? Abraham. We all think of Abraham. Now, if you go back a few hundred years, okay, there was a flood, and there were eight people left after the flood. And one of those people was Noah, and one of them was Ham, the middle son. The honorary one, evidently. Uh, but stuff happened. You can read about it if you want. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 9. Um, and Noah curses Ham. But he doesn't curse Ham directly. He curses his son, Canaan. And he says, Cursed be Canaan, for Canaan's children will become servants to their brothers. He essentially assigned to Canaan, Ham's son, because of Ham's sin, a curse. Why is this significant? Canaan ends up settling in what we now know as the nation of Israel in that area. And Canaan becomes a nation, the Canaanites. The Canaanites introduce a lot of pagan, evil worship into that region, including human sacrifice especially of the children. If you study their religion with the Baal and all the stuff they did, it's, it's, not, it's not pretty at all. It's terrible. They were a cursed people, a cursed nation, and it started with a decision of one of their ancestors, Ham. But then God finds another man, Abram. And he said, Abram, I want to take you from where you're comfortable, your land, and I want to introduce you into a cursed land because, Abram, you're blessed. There's something on your life that carries blessing. And I'm going to put you in a cursed land, and I want you to sow the seed of blessing throughout your life. Even though you won't see the full return, I want you to sow that blessing into this land because one day I'm going to redeem this land for you. And instead of a curse, I'm going to make this land a blessing for the whole world. I'm going to reverse the curse and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through your seed. And so God takes a cursed man, Ham, and a blessed man, Abram. He combines them and creates a blessing for the whole world. When you live as a blessing, God can take your situation and He can take a curse even from bygones past and He can create a massive blessing. Abraham. Instead of Ham being a curse, now it's a blessing. Abraham, father of many nations. And how many of you know the promise came when he was a hundred years old? They were so old, Sarah laughed when these three mysterious people came into their camp. She laughed. And then they called her on it. Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Now I'll bet you if the body language, it was probably like, I, 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 I didn't laugh. Well, who was it then? We are called to be a blessed people. Amen. You are here to be a blessing for your children for your children's children, whether that's in the spirit or in the natural. And I want you, even now, be encouraged. Your life 
has meaning and purpose. And you cannot even begin to see the end of that purpose. Amen? If I could, just for a moment, take the Apostle Paul and just talk to him for like 15 minutes. You know what I'd do? I wouldn't ask him about his letters and stuff. I'd ask him one question. I'd be like, hey, did you write Hebrews? And then we'd move straight into, we'd move straight into, I just want to tell you about the way that your ministry has impacted the earth in the last 2,000 years. And I, and I would try to just shotgun, just, you know, century by century. Oh, we've screwed up along the way. There was this war and that war. But there are billions of people who believe because of the letters you wrote while you were in prison. Your time in prison meant something, Paul. It was not a hindrance to the gospel. It exploded the gospel on the planet Earth. And even though I'm sure it was not fun, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for not throwing in the towel, not shutting up about who Jesus is, even when they threatened your life, even when they made you miserable. Thank you, Paul, for persevering, because through your perseverance, the seed of the blessing that you were on the planet in cursed land has become a blessing for generation after generation. Be like Paul. Be like Abraham. Take those curses that come along and own it. Say, I'm going to be a blessing in the midst of this curse. I'm going to sow seeds of righteousness in the midst of this family strife. I am going to pray over these fights, over this divorce, over this animosity in my community. And one day, one day, that curse is going to be changed into a blessing. One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's the end of the story. So let's help the Lord Jesus get a head start on his inheritance and live as a blessing. Not just for us, but for our children's children. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word, as we said earlier, is living and powerful. And I thank you that every situation we would call a curse, that includes COVID, that includes the, the political turmoil in our nation right now. We speak blessing. We speak life. We speak the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That His name is the name above every name. His name is Jesus. It is Yahweh in flesh. It is I am who I am. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is the living one. He is the son of David. He is the son of man. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the name given by which men can be saved. He is salvation. He is healer. He is provider. He is omnipotent. He is the one who spins the stars in their orbits. He is the name above every name. We speak that name over this nation. We speak that name over this planet. As people are hiding away in fear, we speak courage. We speak blessing. We speak faith that people would not hide away and, and look up articles to be more afraid, but they would, when they're called to hide away, they would find rest, that they would bless their family. They would lead their family in Bible study and prayer and worship. Lord, for all those watching at home who, it is wise to be home. I pray that their house would become a house of prayer. I pray that their kitchen table would become an altar. I pray that their living room would become a house of worship. At the beginning of this year, um, every year, our family, we, we pick a word. A word to bless our year. You know, just something fun that we do. But I believe God leads us in the midst of picking you know, because words are important. Names are important. Words are important. 
And in January, we decided that our word for 2020 was going to be rest. That God was going to bring us rest. Little did we know that it was just going to shut down. The whole world was going to go on pause. And I laughed later thinking about that because I had not envisioned that in the slightest. I did not see this year coming. Honestly, I was, you know, one of the nerd preachers. How am I going to get 2020 in a sermon? You know what I mean? Eyesight, clear vision, totally blindsided. I think it's just one of God's jokes. I don't know. But would you do that? Would you seek him fresh, new, knowing that decisions you make now are seeds for the future? Even if you can't see it, would you believe it with me? Would you? Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise. But we have. We have received the promise. How much more, how much more should we walk in faith knowing that Jesus is who he said he is? He rose from the dead after three days in the rich man's tomb. For 40 days, he appeared to his followers and preached to them and taught them about the kingdom. And then he ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, the Spirit whom he sent descended upon 120 in an upper room. Tongues of fire were over their heads and they spoke in other tongues. And that day, 3,000 were added to the believers. That's our story. Those are our stories as people of faith. Even if our story is just to be faithful, if we're just one of those in-between generations that just got to carry the torch, like our job is just to get the torch from here to here. Let's do it well, because there's going to be another story. If, it, if I'm part of it, praise God, I'm, I'm, I want to be ready. I want to be like the biblical Joshua. Even if I got to walk in the desert, you know, and watch all these unbelievers die around me, I'm going to still love them. I'm going to still pray for them. But y'all scared. So me and Caleb, we're going to go with these young fellas. So I might be like this. When that, when that big revival hits, and I might be 70, 80 years old, but I want to be shouting with those young peeps. When the dead are being raised, when the sick are being healed, when the gospel is being declared from the courtrooms, from the grocery store, from the post office, when we live in a place where the name of Jesus is lifted above every name, that's what I'm believing for. That's what I'm believing for. Amen. Bless you. I'm done. Thank you, Lord. of property never owned anything lived in a shack didn't have sometimes two nickels to rub together but he had a bunch of kids of course you know back then kids were born not so much (laughs) uh, kids were born to be laborers in the fields 
as my grandfather. Because that, that sharecropper was, a, was my great-granddad. But there's something that he, he passed down. He didn't pass down money because he never had any money. But he passed down a relationship with Jesus because he found the Lord. He wasn't always such a good guy, but God transformed his life. And then my granddad continued that relationship. And he had a brother who was a pastor. And then there's a couple of nephews who became pastors. That my grandfather had a son, my dad, who would serve as the state Sunday school representative for the church, for the the holiness church. From there, he had a few sons and daughters. Two of them are pastors. Every one of my brothers and sisters are in church. Every one of my nieces and nephews, save one, is in church. We don't have, you don't have to have a whole lot to be a legacy. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, that is the greatest legacy that you can pass down. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, man. I know you have that personal story as well. And the legacy that's passed down is is the Savior who turned the curse into a blessing. And we're called to remember Him. We find that Paul was given a message to share to us of what Jesus had done on, in the upper room. And the Bible says that he took the bread. If you're new here and you haven't had communion with us, you can stand at this time. And there's two cups. The cup underneath the juice has the bread in it. That is to assure that it hasn't been touched. We're trying to be cautious but we try to be cautious all the time. But Jesus, with his disciples, as he was sharing with them, he took the bread. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. You know, the greatest thing is that Jesus broke the curse by being broken. There's a whole lot who are sick, you know, I've been asked to pray for Helen Tipton, which is Sherry Tipton's mother. I've been asked to pray for Dean Stennett, which is a great friend, longtime friend. But we have the Baylisses, we have the Dillingers, we have Kathy Hunt, we have Jennifer Russell, several who are sick, several who have been close to those who are sick, who are at home. And I want to encourage you, if you're home right now, and those who are here, that Jesus died. He allowed his body to be broken. You need to understand he allowed his body to be broken. For the Bible says he who hung on the tree is is a curse, right? He was willing to take the curse of sin on him that you might be healed. Come on. And this morning we, we take this bread as a remembrance of his body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, that when we were sin-filled, you you chose to take on sin, the sin of the world, the weight of the world on your shoulders. You chose to allow yourself to be beaten, whipped, spat upon. You chose to take the curse on you, even though you didn't deserve it, even though you had not done anything to receive it, you chose to bear it. For our sake, for those who would believe in you, 
that they shouldn't have to bear it, that they've been, they've been released from that because you became the victor in us, though we have, we have made ourselves victims in Christ Jesus, we become victory and victor. Thank you, Jesus, for being broken for us that we could be made whole in you. Thank you, Jesus, for that gift. And Lord, you took the cup and you said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which I've shed for you. And Lord, I thank you so much that, that because of your blood shed on the cross of Calvary, by your shed blood, I am redeemed. I am no longer the old person any longer, but I am new in you. I am made new and made whole through your blood. As your word says that we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. Because of your blood, we are able to be overcomers. And Lord, in your blood, we have been made new. And Lord, today we receive this gift. In Jesus' name, you may take that and drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the redemption of all mankind through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, that I don't have to live out the sinful life anymore. I don't have to be bound to the past. I don't have to be I don't have to be acknowledged by who I used to be, but Lord, I am a new creature because of your love. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was shed on, the, on Calvary. And Lord, that that was an eternal sacrifice forever and ever and ever. No longer does there have to be a sacrifice made, but your blood was sufficient from, from ages past to ages untold in the future. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's the precious lamb, the precious lamb of God. Born into sin, born into sin, that I may live again. The precious lamb of God. Worthy is the word. Father, I pray a blessing just as you have spoken over us. I pray a blessing over everyone in this room. God, I pray that though we might have or have not, Lord, that we will live our life out under your presence and under your guidance. Lord, I pray that you'll bless each one in this room, that they may be a blessing. And Lord, that, they, that their children's children may be called blessed because of their faithful, their faithful commitment to you, Jesus. Let them acknowledge, let each one of us acknowledge you today. And may we walk out this relationship eternally because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Remember, we have a CR service tomorrow night. If you'd like to come and be a part of that, I'll be speaking. We have a, a praise team coming to lead worship. If you just would like to be a part, we'd love to have you come out and be with us. Hey, men, just real quick, sorry. Uh, our dinner Friday night has been postponed till January 8th. Just letting you guys know. The men's dinner Friday night that was the 11th has been postponed till January 8th.